Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We are reading the entire Bible together, out loud, book by book, chapter by chapter, and we are finishing off the book of Zechariah today. By God's grace, we are still doing this. We are still on the airwaves, thanks to KFUO and streaming and doing our podcast, looking at Zechariah chapter 14. And what a chapter, you know, in the midst of a tumultuous times, you've got a chapter that is extremely tumultuous. I mean, there is uh, talk of exile, battle, plundering, um, you know, violence against the women. You've got uh, the Mount of Olives being split in two. What is going on in this chapter? Sounds a lot, maybe, like some of the stuff we're going to be reading when we turn next week to, uh, Lord willing, Revelation. So, what is going on in this chapter of Zechariah, chapter 14? What is the fulfillment here amidst all the chaos? Uh, where do you see Christ? He is certainly there. And today, joining us, we have got from uh, Decatur, Indiana, we've got Pastor Christopher Morandi of St. John Bingen Lutheran Church. Good morning, brother. Good to have you back. Been a little while. How are you and the brothers and sisters doing in Decatur? Uh, we are doing very well. We're uh, we're continuing to rejoice to receive Christ's gifts in the in the midst of, in the midst of the crisis and uh, and continuing to hold to His promises. Well, I, I thank God that that things are well for you guys and that you are still receiving God's gifts, which are just uh, all all the more needed, right? Or at least we are all the more reminded that we needed them all along, perhaps. Yep. Uh, yep. But yeah, certainly it's uh, it's it's an interesting situation in different parts. And uh, of course, you know, I you know, for myself, I'm out here in Orange County, uh, California, and what a weird week we've had. And we're just at the point now where, after lots of conflicting messages, the whole state's just don't leave your house. So I mean, this is a very unique situation. But I am very grateful that we have the Word of God, and even though we are not face to face. We still hear each other, and through each other's voices, we hear the voice of the shepherd. Yeah, thanks be to God. It, it, the church is really it, this. This is the church's wheelhouse. Is a crisis. Is a timeline. Yeah. This is where where we, our voice needs to go forth, and where where the people of God need to be gathered in any way they can uh, around His Word. That's right. Yeah, I, I, that's actually a pretty fair way to put it, the church's wheelhouse. I mean, just look at this chapter we have today, right? I mean, it's mm -hmm. just kind of crisis after crisis. I mean, uh, you know, people have made lots of comparisons to what's going on. They, they're like, well, I feel like it's like a zombie movie or it's like one of these end-of-the-world movies. And, you know, like from, from a Christian perspective, you're just like, hmm, sounds like all the stuff in the Bible kind of left and right, you know? I mean, it is um, in many ways just kind of, uh, as we look at this chapter today, you're like, I mean, yeah, this is the stuff that, that God's people are, are always um, being seen through by our God who reigns over all things and who can rescue from all kinds of calamities that are described all over Scripture. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, this chapter, as, as I was preparing, it just how apropos it is for, for a time when we're in uh, a worldwide <laughs> pandemic, when we're uh, doing things that—, that none of us in living memory have ever experienced before uh to to see the the this this battle and the war and the but ending up with uh, 
the Lord as king, uh, very much like Revelation. Right. Yes, exactly. Well, I think we're going to have our hands full with uh, this text today. Let's go ahead and turn to it. As we do so, brother, would you say a prayer for us, for everyone listening, for um, everybody at the International Center who's hanging on there to make sure that this happens uh, at, with KFUO and for just everybody um, affected by this today? Yeah. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the king over all the earth. And in times of crisis, times of fear, times of great calamity, it, it, it seems, it tests us to, to think that, that maybe you aren't in control, but you are. You are. You remain enthroned as king. You remain our Lord. You remain our Savior. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would drive away all fear, that you would help us to trust and rely upon you to cling to you and your gracious promises. And Lord Jesus, we ask that you would grant safety, especially to all those who are, who are you know, medical personnel, all those who are essential personnel, all of our pastors and our other church workers who are serving, who are serving those who are in need, who are serving those who are sick, who are serving those in crisis. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would bring an end to this pandemic, that you would bring an end to this time of crisis, but we know that you will guide us through it and that you have been with us every step of the way. You've always been with the church, and you will be until the end. We ask all this in your holy, your precious name, O Lord. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen. 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 All right. Chapter 14. Let's read just the first two verses here. Mm-hmm. And we will we will ask that question we, we kind of always ask when we look at a new chapter in Zechariah. All right, is it a, is it a new scene? Is this the, the thing that happens next? Is it a, or is it a flashback? You know what is going on? How do you connect the dots here? So just the first two verses, just to kind of get something on the table here. Zechariah chapter 14 in the English Standard Version. Behold. A day is coming for the Lord, when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. So, wow, just, you know, right right away, it's just, I mean, it's just a gut punch of two verses, right? Like, it's it's just terrible sort of destruction is um, envisioned right at the very beginning here. And, and yet you have, uh, there, there seems to be something going on that there's some kind of preservation. There's some kind of, you know, as you were saying, it's like, it doesn't seem like God's in control, but he is. It's a day coming for the Lord. So, how is this fitting in with with what we've read so far as we approach this uh, this this last chapter now? Yeah, I, I sure I'm sure as you have talked uh, you know, on this on this program, uh, Zechariah kind of has two fairly natural divisions: uh, a one through eight and the nine through fourteen. Nine through fourteen right. are definitely the more eschatological or end times uh, picture. Right. Of Zechariah, and really, <laughs> Zechariah is a tough one. Uh, when I yeah. saw that I had Zechariah, I, and especially <laughs> chapter 14, it, it's a tough book. And I, I, I wanted to throw this quote out here. Luther says in his German commentary, here in this yeah. chapter I give up, for I'm not sure <laughs> the prophet 
talking about. <laughs> so and, and so it's tough. It's, it's a diff, it's a difficult to maneuver through this. But I I think in in my mind, as we work our way from nine to fourteen, we're seeing the eschatological battle, the end times battle, the the end of all times, the day of the Lord, kind of. Almost in the same sense as Revelation. If, Re- if you read Revelation like a newspaper, like a timeline, you're going to get, you're going to end up with Jesus coming back three or four times. Um, right. <laughs> I think Zechariah is kind of similar in that we're kind of cyclically working around the same, the same battle, the same events, the same uh, yeah. tumultuous times that come at the end of the age. And, and right. certainly the cross is completely in view throughout. Uh, Zechariah nine through fourteen is cited all over the place in the Passion narratives in, in the Gospels. Right. And right. so the cross is certainly, as the inauguration of all this, is certainly in view. Right. Thank you very much. Those are very helpful remarks, and I really appreciate the Luther quote, because, you know, I mean, you don't feel so bad, right? Because if you get to this chapter and you're like, you know, I give up, like, well, Luther said the same thing, right? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, it's a, you take a little bit of consolation for whatever that's worth. Yeah. But... Yeah, certainly you look at, I mean, you know, you, you know, you're like, it's like buckle up, you're in for a ride when like the commentaries that you turn to, they're all like, Zechariah 14 is one of the most difficult chapters to interpret in all of scripture. Like, it's just like, that's the first thing they say. It's like, okay, we know what kind of chapter we're in for. Um, but I think your point about, you know, maybe this is a little bit like Revelation and you shouldn't necessarily be reading this as this is what happens next, but maybe we're kind of just getting different takes and different perspectives on the same thing a couple times like you have in revelation right um mm-hmm. i i think that's i think that's on the right track because i mean in, in verse four i mean in chapter 14 here the start here is behold right um a day is coming and that's that that's the typical hebrew way for talking about like something that's going on or is just right about to happen Right. So it, it's not like the way of saying like, and then the next thing. Right. Or and then after that, like that no, doesn't mean that it's just kind of like it's kind of reorienting us just back to our kind of starting position. So I think that um, that makes a lot of sense to say, actually, when you get to 14 here, perhaps we are actually just doing another angle on the stuff that we already read in 12. Because, because you do have, um, as you were saying in this last part, through 9 through 14, these two oracles that we've been talking about. And you have the one oracle of, of 9 to 11, and you got the other oracle, 12 to 14. And it seems like this, uh, this, this final oracle has a little bit of consistency to it. Because what we just read kind of sounds a lot like when you go back to chapter 12, right? Back in mm-hmm. verse 2, behold, I'm about... I mean, same, same, same construction. Behold, I am about to, right? Like it's the same, it's the same sort of thing in Hebrew. Uh, make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. And, and it goes on the rest. Um, it's talking about, it talks about plague, right? It talks about, um, you know, this, this attack on Jerusalem that's carried out by all the nations. So it sounds very very similar but perhaps this time we're trying to uh, the prophet here is trying to like kind of emphasize a little bit of a different point here yeah and, and bring it to a close too much like revelation yeah. 20 21 22 where we're, we're finally right. reaching the climax the culmination and we're going to bring it all to a 
to a, a culmination. Right. Well, oh, yeah, yes, exactly. Right. So, so as he's wrapping this up now and giving us a different uh, take on perhaps the same things, it is interesting the way that he's talking about it. Um, you know, what, one of the differences you note, like compared to the earlier part, um, you know, from like 12 and 13 compared to 14, uh, the numbers are like slightly different. I think that we, we just read last time that it's like, you know, it's like a third um, is spared and two thirds are cut off here. It's like in halves. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if we, if there's really anything to be made of that, except for that they're, they're kind of both like, you know, devastating fractions um, either way. You know, it kind of reminds me of the talk that we've had lately with, uh, you know, COVID-19 and it's like, you know, it, 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 people talk about it. It's like, well, you know, is it, is it a, you know, point, you know, 7% uh, mortality rate? Is it a 1.1% uh, mortality rate. It's like, I mean, either way, it's like, it's bad, you know? I mean, like, I think it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's, it's too high either way. Right. Um, and then that you also, another difference that jumps out at me is just, there's, I feel like there's more of a description of the, of the devastation that Jerusalem experiences. Right. Because I think in 12, um, it's the, the emphasis is more on like, you know, Jerusalem's going to be put to siege, but God's going to see Jerusalem through and they're, they're not going to be able to overcome. But here in, in 14, it seems like the emphasis is a little bit like, at least to start like, yeah, and it's bad in Jerusalem. You've got, you've got literal rape and plunder here, right? Exile. Like, um, yeah, they're going to survive, but the cost is going to be high. Yeah. The, 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 the survival, the the what's going to happen in Jerusalem is certainly escalated in this chapter. Though certainly once we get to to verses what uh, verses ten and following, we have also the restoration of Jerusalem. So yes. things things will be restored. But but the initial attack, yes, in, in chapter twelve is essentially a warning to the nations: don't take this on because right. the Lord's the Lord's defending her here. Here we've got a little bit more of a devastating picture. Really, really, the imagery I would think is drawn from the Babylonian, uh, the Babylonian assault, uh, right. taking down and burning Jerusalem. Right, right, yeah. And just, I mean, to think about that, right? It's like let's just take the worst memory of the people of God, right? Like basically our worst nightmare, and let's compare what's coming to that. Right. I, I mean, because there, there was nothing worse. I mean, we, and we've been talking about that in Zechariah, like how there were like all these days of fasting throughout the year because just the, the exile was this crazy tragedy. You know, I mean, you had like, you know, the, the different the king, um, King Josiah, who, right, who died in battle, um, the last governor of Judah who uh, was killed. You had the, the, the burning of the city, the destruction of the temple. I mean, the breach of the walls. I mean, just just so many bad things happened in, in, a, in a relatively short span of time. And so you take that worst thing we can imagine, and you're saying, it's going to be like that, guys. Yep. Yep. I'm drawing on that collective memory. Right, right. So, and so, so right. So you get, I, I think, you know, you're the way you're putting it there that, you know, in the first part, it's like, you know, hey, nations, don't just think you're going to waltz up to Jerusalem and it's going to be a cakewalk. But on the other hand, right, this is may, maybe kind of directed back at God's people and say, yeah, I'm going to see you through, but uh, mm. don't go thinking that it's going to be a, you know, a walk in the park uh, yeah. for us either, uh, which, you know, I mean, is uh, I, I just think, as, as you were saying at the, at the beginning of the hour, it's very appropriate for us that, you know, yeah, God's going to see us through, but I mean, that, that doesn't mean that, you know, 
it's everything's just going to be peachy keen for just you know every single individual and that you know there there aren't going to there isn't going to be a loss of life you know that, that we're not going to have uh, tragedy and mourning in in many of our congregations like yeah god's going to see us through but i mean that that doesn't mean and we can't fall into this um i mean i don't know i just i, I remember i think i saw on the news yesterday that there was a there was a huge prayer gathering i don't think it was christian um i don't think it was even like on this continent um, but it was like ten thousand people or maybe even more than that and they were all gathered and the the leader was saying you know we, we are here and we're gonna have this prayer gathering and you know everyone here you are you are cured of coronavirus and you know we're gonna pray this and it's gone right like like you know that's the way that god's gonna see us through like it's just it's all gone don't even worry about it right no concerns like yeah that's not the picture we have here is it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah the, the, this uh <laughs> this isn't any sort of uh rose colored everything's going to be great uh it, Everything is going to be great, but yeah. in the situation, in the actual, in the actual events, the the tumult of the last days is going to be exactly that tumult. Uh, yeah. it's, it's going to be a difficult time, and we we see the groans with things like coronavirus, earthquakes, all the other stuff that that happens that we're not quite thinking about right now. Um, all these other things, they, they're all indications of this this last and final tumult of the last days. And, and Book of Revelation again, uh, Matthew 25, the eschatological passages in the Gospels make it quite clear this is not going to be uh, a pleasant time. But the promise remains: He who endures to the end will be saved. Amen. Amen. Uh, let's go ahead then and, and take a look at this next part, because uh, as, as you're saying, it, it, this is the part that seems to line up a little bit more closely with 12. Um, and then there's this interesting turn <laughs> in verse 6. Um, so let's go ahead and take a look at this next part. Verse 3, then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azal. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. All right, so pausing there, because uh, th that's already, I think, uh, quite a lot to chew on before you get to verse six. But uh, I, mean, I mean, so yeah, there's this description of, you know, God's going to, you know, fight for us, which is, I mean, you know, we've seen that all the way since, you know, Moses, right? Like God's the one who's fighting the battles and is, is a warrior. Like uh, Isaiah says, he puts on his armor, right? Armor of God, well, because he's the one wearing it, right? Uh, but what's interesting is when he shows up on the Mount of Olives, and that maybe is kind of striking to a lot of us, we're like, hmm, Mount of Olives, I think I've heard of that before. Um, I mean, I mean, just it splits open in two, and like the geography changes. So, I mean, what's what's the message there? Yeah, and this, is, this isn't the only time in this chapter where the geography will be altered uh, to, yeah. to make a point here. And, and Mount of Olives, of course, to, to have the, the feet of the Lord standing on the Mount of Olives, well, that, that brings up a lot for us, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. Jesus himself uh, stood on the Mount of Olives. That's where the Garden of Gethsemane was. That's where he was arrested. Um, that's where he ascended from. You know, it's the, uh, to have his feet on the Mount of Olives is a very significant picture of uh, 
of deliverance. Right. And then mm-hmm. it split. And so I, I would say this is, this is kind of an exodus picture here. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the end of the, the eschatological, I keep using that word, so the end times, last days, exodus. And so we've got the people in the battle. The Lord is fighting against the enemies. And then the Lord's going to split the mountain just like he split the sea, and that's where you go. That's how you depart. Um, and, right. and this is very much in keeping with much of the scriptures, which describe salvation as an exodus event. Really, really the, the exodus is kind of the, the, the core uh, salvific event right. of the Old Testament. And it's kind of it, all the other ones that come throughout the Old Testament. There are many. They all kind of follow that pattern. Even Jesus himself follows that pattern. There's no mistake. Right. Why he why he um, he he isn't killed on on Passover weekend just because that happened to be when he was in town. It was right. <laughs> there's there's great significance there. This the Exodus points forward to uh, Jesus's work, and then the end times is portrayed as an Exodus. And so here we see that that kind of a hint, though it's a very unique twist on it. Uh, the this hint of an Exodus theme, and the people will go out through a through a geographical obstacle that split. Right. Right. Yeah, no, you, exactly. So, you know, it, it's one of these things where sometimes you get some of these uh, interpreters who want to just go really like literal on all this stuff and saying like, you know, you know, when, when you know, when he, when the Lord comes back and, uh, you know, raptures like all the Christians. And so I'm, I'm thinking particularly of the dispensationalist, millennialist kind of uh, approaches. They say, look, the, the geography is going to change, right? And everyone who's left on earth, it, things are going to be, the map's going to be different. And it's like, well, I mean, that's, as you were saying, like, you know, the, the point is to make a comparison to the Exodus, right? And it's like, if we're going to say that, you know, this bad thing that's coming up is going to be like, um, like, like the exile, right? Well, then, as, as you were saying, like, the only kind of comprehensible solution is that God delivers an even bigger exodus. And I mean, like, how do you go bigger than splitting the Red Sea? Like, well, I don't know. How about like splitting the mountains in half? You know, I mean, like, I, I think that's the idea. It's like, well, we're just going to have an even more powerful um, Red Sea crossing. We're going to have an even more powerful exodus. Um, and so it, it is interesting, though, I mean, in connection to that, that, okay, there's this deliverance that there is this stand, as you were saying, the feet standing on the Mount of Olives. And, um, you, you know, it is it is interesting because you think to yourself, well, but now Jesus, right, like our Lord, um, he went, you know, with the Mount, uh, up to the Mount of Olives, and, and then he, he, he went away, right? But it is, it is very striking that in um, Acts, right, when there's uh, you have the, the the apostles there like looking up and in, into the sky like well well hang on kind of like what's what's like going on right um, and then you get this message from these uh, two men it says in white robes and, and they say men of Galilee why do you stand looking into heaven this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come and this is the interesting part in the same way as you saw him going, uh, as you saw him go into heaven, which has, um, I think kind of with that kind of just kind of, uh, at least in terms of kind of artwork and, and um, imagination, there's this kind of idea that, so when the Lord returns, right? Well, he, he how did he, how did he leave? Well, he, he ascended up from the Mount of Olives. So how's he coming back? Comes back down to the Mount of Olives, right? I mean, whether that's, you know, actually how that's going to go down, or again, if it's kind of like uh, meant to, make a theological point it's hard to say but 
that is just very, it's just so interesting to read Zechariah like that and just imagining the Lord, hey, he ascended from up there, Mount of Olives, coming back down to the Mount of Olives. And so that's like, yeah, anyways, uh, I, I want to give you a chance to kind of develop that a little bit more before we go on, but we got to take our break. Everybody, hang on. We're looking at Zechariah chapter 14, last chapter of the book on Thy Strong Word. Be right back. Websites selling binary options claim they are low-cost, high-reward investments. What they don't tell you is that binary options are high-risk bets where the odds are stacked against you, that withdrawing money is often almost impossible, and the representatives will contact you with intense sales tactics or even threats. Protect yourself. Don't let anyone pressure you into making investments or quick decisions. Visit MissouriProtectsInvestors.com to learn more. Paid for by the Missouri Secretary of State's Investor Education and Protection Fund. A weed is a stubborn thing pushing its way up through a crack in the sidewalk. The human heart is a stubborn thing insisting on going its own way. Dr. Michael Ziegler says God is stubborn too. He talks about the stubborn love of God that reaches out to restore our relationship with our Creator in a message titled, They Bloom Later, this week on The Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 1230 and 5 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO. Have you ever wondered if your investments could do more? I mean, a whole lot more. This is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. When you invest with us, you not only earn a competitive interest rate, but your investment goes to strengthen Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations through low-cost loans and services. To learn more, visit lcef.org backslash invest101. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Zechariah chapter 14, the chapter that Luther said, you know what, I give up, right? I mean, so it's, it's a challenging chapter, but we're already, I think, making a little bit of sense of it here, connecting it back to chapter 12 and uh, making some other connections in the New Testament here. So I think, I think we're on the right track. I think we're on to something here. And we're joined today by Pastor Christopher Morandi, pastor at St. John Bingen Lutheran Church in Decatur, Indiana. I want to make sure to invite our live listeners. You know, this is a really great opportunity for us to stay connected. We can, we can still ask questions and uh, you can make your observations. And so go, go ahead. It's, uh, it's nice to hear other voices sometimes besides mine, right? Uh, if you have a question or comment, 1-800-730-2727. Or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Also want to thank our underwriters for their support. Our underwriters are the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Their website is lhfmissions.org. All right. So we, we've taken a look here at these first five verses. 
um, you know, we've made a couple connections to the New Testament already. I mean, you mentioned, uh, you know, Matthew, uh, what was it, Matthew 25 or 24, right? I mean, like just the, the eschatological discourse, right? A lot of the, the Lord's own words about, you know, kind of like one half being spared, one half being taken away that kind of like matches this. We we're just talking about the connection, Acts chapter one. So, I mean, uh, a lot of ways, this just seems to get, even if it's not quoted, this stuff seems to just get drawn on in the New Testament, right? Yes, yeah, I, and and as we've as we've noted, the whole this whole section, Zechariah nine to fourteen, is heavily quoted in the New Testament. So we're work right. we're in very much that context, right? And so if we thought that um, you know, like okay, well, we've had a lot of you know stuff for the New Testament to draw on already, so you know, probably going to calm down, and the rest won't be drawn on so heavenly, oh, so heavily. Um, oh wait, <laughs> like. Here comes a lot of stuff that's going to get heavily drawn upon. So, and this one's very interesting here. Um, so, let's just read this next little uh, bit here, six through eight. So, it's only three verses, but what's so interesting is I'm going to read this, and, and I'm thinking a lot of people are going to say, like, hey, that sounds familiar. All right, here we are, verse six. On that day, there shall be no light, cold, or frost, and there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. Okay, so now this is interesting. We just had this uh, kind of geographical language that was meant to kind of make a comparison to the Exodus. And now we have a meteorological language, right? I mean, so the weather patterns are going to change, right? You know, um, says, you know, one interpreter, but uh, I mean, so what, what, what's going on here? It seems like this is, is meant to be conveying some kind of theological message here. It's so interesting. Everything, it's like some kind of, I don't know, there's this kind of constancy, I think that's being described. And, Hmm, this sounds a lot like something out of Revelation, right? <laughs> yes, it does, where the, the proclamation that the sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, the, the idea, I believe it's chapter 20 or 21, where uh, there'll be yeah. no need for the sun or the moon because the, yep. the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their, will be their light. You know, all of these, all of these images, these are, these are uh, we see it over and over again, describing that last day, describing the... Uh, the new existence, the new heavens, the new earth, that there, there's no longer needed day or night. Um, at evening time, there will be light, it says. Um, and I, w I would point out, too, it's interesting, verse 7, it says the, the English translation is unique day. Uh, if you yeah. cut your, your ESV Bible, or I don't know how other translations take it, you look at the little note on the bottom, it says Hebrew 1. So essentially, yeah. there will be one day, or we could maybe even say the first day, is it's the language of Genesis chapter mm. one. Uh, that that yeah. this is a new creation. This is a recreation, and um, and this new creation will be will be different, in in the sense that uh, before anything else was created, there was light, and in the new creation, all there is is light. All there is is light. Right. Um, and it's yeah. known to the Lord. It, it's His day. Uh, yeah. That's that's really interesting. Um, 
and, and and I think your the, the point's well well taken. I mean, it's um the, the NIV just kind of comparing things also has unique um the the back back in the King James they actually do have um but it shall be one day. But to your point, um, there actually is, and this is something you can just observe in Hebrew that that when you have a, a series of things and you're counting, we might go you know one two three four five six seven. Or we might say first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. But it's actually pretty common in Hebrew to go one, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. That that you start out that way, like one um, in place of where we would normally say first. And so it's totally, I think, a valid option, as you just mentioned, to take that as one um, in the sense of first. Now, I mean, it's interesting because we're about to, in verse 9, look at another instance of the word one and we'll have mm-hmm. to kind of scratch our heads and say, maybe is, is that the connection there? But, um, but certainly that this we're starting something different, right? I mean, I mean, like it is, uh, it is a unique day that is the first in a, in a new series of something that's going on. And, and right, it is in revelation chapter 21, uh, the ESV, uh, it's pretty helpful here with all the little footnotes that you got everywhere. It, it actually points us out to Revelation 21, um, 23. And uh, just just briefly, what you got there in Revelation 21, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Right. So, I mean, just that description of like, uh, you know, like we're not getting the the uh, the oscillations, right, of hot and cold and night and day and sun and moon. But just it's this constancy because the source is just the unmitigated presence of God. Right. Like, you know, like don't don't get sad when you read this and you're like, oh, heaven doesn't have seasons. I'm like, no, that's not that's not the point. Um, the, the point is, right, that in the midst of so much tumult. Right. And just, you know, especially for us. Right. Where it's just like every day you're like, OK. Oh, OK, let's let's turn on the TV, see what planet I'm waking up to today. Right. Because you just the whole script just gets flipped like every day, it seems. Right. The point is. We're not going to have that anymore, right? Every every day, it's going to be, you know what? I know what's going on fundamentally, right? Like, because God is just here. He's the rock. Things are stable because they're all on him. And that, that's really that what you just said summarizes uh, the imagery we're going to see in the next few verses. Um, even as we even as we move forward, this is this is a land of of plenty and stability, agricultural fertility. Um, these are all images bring, being brought in safety, um, and that the living waters that we see in in the next verse in yep. verse eight. This is all just such a beautiful picture of a land that is beautiful and prosperous, and yeah, flowing with milk and honey. Well, when speaking of that flowing, right? You, so you mentioned the living waters, and, and that's that's an interesting bit there. What, what do you what do you make of that? Because that's also yeah. language that we see in Revelation and well in the Gospels. Yep. Now we see, we see in Revelation the first place I look actually though would be would be Ezekiel, where the yeah. where the new end times temple has has the river flowing from it, 
and there's a picture quite uh, amazing and beautiful there. It, it's still here, not quite as explicit, um, because the, the Eastern Sea more than likely is the Dead Sea, and then mm -hmm. the Western Sea is the, the Mediterranean. Uh, right. In um, in Ezekiel, it is explicitly the Dead Sea that is renewed and the water is made fresh and fish will live in it again and all that kind of – so it's a much more expanded picture. The same idea yeah. uh, of this eschatological end times renewal of the earth, renewal of the earth. And, and you have in the Holy Land, in the Promised Land, uh, the Dead Sea, I mean the, the most inhospitable place on the planet or one of them, and uh, one of the beautiful pictures of – of salvation of the last day is the renewal of the Dead Sea. And then you, then you go to the New Testament, and especially John's Gospel, uh, where Jesus first in chapter 4 talks about uh, the living water uh, that he right. brings when he's talking with the Samaritan woman. And then I, I'm going to lose my chapter reference. I think, I think chapter 12, uh, when Jesus cries out, whoever, whoever is thirsty, come to me. Uh, right. And streams of living water will flow from him. Right. And then, of course, at the cross, when the when his side is pierced once again in John, uh, the flow of blood and water. So so Jesus takes this imagery into himself, and of course in John uh, very explicitly he put he is the he is the temple, and so mm -hmm. in Ezekiel the water flows out of the temple, and Jesus takes on that imagery, and the waters now flow through him, and right. that is where the living water flows. Yeah, no, thank you. I, I, I think that's it's a very uh, it's well put way of connecting all the dots there. That we when we saw that when we looked at the Gospel of John, and well, I mean, just last time, right when we we're looking at Zechariah thirteen and the time before that on twelve, you know, just the piercing and the fountain being opened, right? I mean, John was getting that from this last part of of Zechariah there, and so I mean, like here you have it all. And uh, what what's fascinating too, right? This this living waters bit. I mean, so literally, right, if you just kind of like, what, what does living waters mean? It means running water, flowing water. Like, it's not just like water that's just kind of like sitting there and, you know, like your cat looks at it and, and like kind of like, I don't know if I'm going to drink out of that, right? Like, no, it's not. So it's it's flowing, right? Like, it's a, it's a fresh source. Um, as you were saying, it could like renew um, a body of water, like the Dead Sea then, right? You've got like, you know, uh, flowing water. Uh, but... The what's interesting, right, is that in in the Hebrew and the Greek, you, you don't use the word flowing or running. You you, you say living, which which really just kind of opens itself up then to all the kind of you know plays on words that you get, like in the Gospel of John, where it's like it's welling up to eternal life, right? Um, you get the living water idea, and then as you were saying in Revelation, you uh, you have this this fountain this uh this river show up again and what's fascinating revelation right is that on either side of the river there's the tree of life because literally in hebrew actually it's not even living water it's actually waters of life um like in the same way that you have tree of life so i, I mean yeah it's um it's it's the temple language as you said it's the language that jesus our lord takes up into himself it's also the kind of language in connection to the temple and everything else that is reminiscent of Eden, of, of paradise, right? Um, already there. So, I mean, it's not, as you were saying, it's not super explicit, but like all, all these little, uh, you know, hints and echoes are, are here. So let's go ahead, though, and press on. Uh, you're, you're saying, because we, we see this um, come up then in the next verse here. 
uh, let's take this little chunk here. Uh, let's maybe at least try to get up through 11 before pausing again. So picking it up here at verse 9. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one, and his name one. The whole land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Ramon south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site, from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the former gate to the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. And it shall be inhabited, and there shall never again be a decree of utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. So in many ways, this just is expanding on what we've already looked at, right? Like in the same way that, you know, we're not guessing about what world are we waking up to, right? I mean, there, there's the kind of summary statement at the, end, at the end there. Jerusalem shall dwell in security, peace, constancy, right? Uh, and then to complement this thing about this this one day, this first day, right? Uh, just so fascinating in, in verse 9, you know, on that day, the Lord will be one in his name one. I mean, because... I mean, isn't what isn't he already one? Hasn't he always been one? But will be one. It's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, and it, it obvious. It's a reference back to to the Shema of uh, of Deuteronomy six. The uh, the idea of the uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, that basic confession of the people of Israel. And, and what's fascinating on that day, the Lord will be one, and His name one. It's an emphasis on. The, the first commandment. It's an emphasis on our one God. And what's what's fascinating to me, and, and maybe it's because that's kind of the reading I'm doing for one of, one of my classes here at the seminary, is, is that the New Testament does not repudiate that. We do not, we do not get Jesus and say, well, now we've got another one, and so now it's two, mm. or now we've got the Holy Spirit, so now we have three. No, no mm. it's still that, that declaration remains true. On that day, the last day, the Lord will be one and his name one. And, and the, the assertion of the New Testament is that Jesus is the Lord. And, uh, and of course, we have the mystery of the Trinity, the three, uh, three persons, one God, three persons, one Lord. Right. And so his name will be one as well. And so we're not, we're not adding, the Christians didn't come along and add extra deities. Uh, we, we said the Son and the Holy Spirit are included within the mystery of the Godhead. Right. Well, yeah, no, that, that's, that's a, of course, yeah, that's, that's a good point that we, we kind of underappreciate sometimes. I think we're like so used to, you know, I mean, I don't know what, we just had St. Patrick's Day this, this last week, right? Um, and it's like, uh, you know, there's, there's the whole thing with like, you know, him and the shamrock, right? And uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it seems kind of like, you're just kind of like, yeah, oh, yeah, okay, I guess, I guess if, if you have a hard time understanding this whole, you know, three and one, one and three thing, but uh, I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, sure, right. But, 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 I mean, just as you're saying, like, when you have a a religion, um, you know, like a theology that's kind of like entirely based on the idea of his oneness, in contradistinction to like every other like way of thinking about God in, in the world, right? Like everyone else around you is polytheist, right? But you're that's your thing, one God, one God, right? Um, the Shema, as you were saying, right? Hero Israel, the Lord your our God, the Lord is one. It's like, what? Hang on. You're going to introduce these other, these other persons. What are you talking about? So, I mean, it really is um, a big deal. And, and when you take a step back, you're like, there really is something pretty profoundly mysterious in the midst of all that. 
Um, and then I, I think, yeah, this this um, this this statement here, I, I like what you're saying. It takes us back to um, the Ten Commandments, right? Like in, in the sense of you know, he'll be one in the sense of um, we will be worshiping him, right? As one, we won't be worshiping him as. I mean, because we know this happened, right? We looked at this in Isaiah, right? That there people were worshiping him as like, oh, he has a consort goddess or something like that, right? So we we won't be like impure in our way of speaking his name, right? But what's so fascinating too is this is also really, really similar to when God actually revealed his name to Moses, right? When he said like, I will be who I will be, um, there, there's actually the same word in Hebrew right there, and and because I mean the, I mean the pun is like right there in Hebrew in Zechariah here it says Yehyeh Yahweh, like I mean it's mm-hmm. I mean, th- there it is again, like the, the divine name kind of like I don't know like re-given as if like this is like a new burning bush moment for us, uh, and that's really what the what the last day is. It's a revelation and a and a proclamation. Uh, <laughs> At, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow uh, on the earth and under the earth, as, as we hear in the in the New Testament. So, so the 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 last day is a a a powerful reaffirmation and declaration of the truth of the first commandment. Absolutely. Well, let's let's go ahead and uh, keep keep the ball rolling here. So now we take a little bit of a turn. Um, this kind of you know uh, just emphatic and beautiful picture of the security now. Um, of Jerusalem turns to uh, how God accomplishes this. And, and this really, again, is very similar to what we saw in chapter 12. Um, but going into uh, more detail, we'll say. Let's pick it up here at verse 12. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. And on that day, a great panic from the Lord shall fall on them, so that each will seize the hand of another, and the hand of the one will be raised against the hand of the other. Even Judah will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be collected, gold, silver, and garments in great abundance. And a plague like this shall fall on the horses, the mules, the camels, the donkeys, and whatever beasts may be in those camps. All right, so pausing there now. Um, this sounds a lot like what we saw in, in 12, right? There's the mention of the horses, um, panic, right? Like God striking them, right? So a lot of, um, similar things there, but I mean, my goodness, verse 12, I mean, just, um, I mean, their eyes and their sockets and their tongues and their mouths, you know, um, I mean, it's, so it's, it seems like on the one hand, just, just more graphic, but, on the other hand, I mean, the p- picture is like, uh, especially with verse 14, it's like, now, hang on, what exactly is going on here? Like the ESV made a pretty big change here. Uh, back in 2001, the ESV said Judah will fight against Jerusalem, which is, uh, oh, okay. Um, but in 2007, they updated it to uh, Judah will fight at Jerusalem. So, I mean, what exactly is going on here? Yeah, well, it, it, on that verse in particular, the the Hebrew preposition... Uh, attached to Jerusalem, I believe, is, is a bait, if I'm remembering yeah. correctly, uh, which can be can be adversative, it can be against, or it can just mean in. <laughs> and so yeah. I, it seems to me that the picture here is not that 
uh, we have we have Judah fighting against Jerusalem or something like that. But but the battle's even going to be in in Jerusalem itself. And and right. so I think this emendation that the ESV made is, is the is the correct way to go. Uh, it, right. And it just yeah, it, it drives the the tumult of this day. The this this eschat. We we took a little break <laughs> and described yeah. uh, how everything's going to look, and now right. we get back to the battle again and kind right. of show how how it finishes off. Uh, the imagery that it's not pleasant, not pleasant to say the least, uh, but very reminiscent of other eschatological battle scenes that we have. Revelation once again. Uh, we we maybe not quite this graphic, but we we do have we do have pictures of the last battle, and how it turns out for those who oppose the Lord and His people, who who gather against His people in that that final battle called in Revelation Armageddon, that mm-hmm. that final battle. Um, they and it's it's not pleasant for those who for those who oppose the Lord, for those who oppose the, His people. He will have the victory. He will have the victory. It reminds me of Psalm 2, where uh, the, everyone gathers against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart. And the the psalmist says, and the Lord laughs and holds them in Right, view. right. Um, he will have the victory. Right. Well, and, yeah, no, no, that, that's that's well said. Um, what, what's interesting, you know, it, it is this picture, I mean, of just like, just, this total reversal and destruction, right? They they brought all this to Jerusalem's doorstep, right? And God's just re- reversing it all back on them, right? Everything that they wanted to do, um, this is this is all just what is descending upon them, right? Um, and of course, like just the expanded picture of the plague, um, talking like in that kind of plague language, um, befalling like all the different animals again sounds very much like you know Passover, Exodus, right? Um, but the point is not that God just wipes them all out, right? I mean, the the, the point, and you know, we, we saw that in Isaiah, right? Like, uh, you know, the, the very the very last verse of Isaiah, right? It's like you're, you'll you'll look out on the corpses, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, like at the Red Sea. So even though you have that, the point is not that. It's not like God's just wanting to get even or settle this score, and th- and that's what's made clear by the the last part of this chapter. Right, um, which is we, so we just got to read this here. Let's just take it to the end because it's not meant. It's not meant to be just that. Okay, their their tongues rotted out of their mouths. Like God actually wants something else to happen. So, last half of the chapter here, picking it up at verse sixteen. Then everyone who survives all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of Hosts, and to keep the Feast of Booths. And if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, then on them there shall be no rain. There shall be the plague with which the Lord afflicts the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. This shall be the punishment to Egypt and the punishment to all the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. And on that day there shall be inscribed on the bells of the horses, Holy to the Lord. And the pots in the house of the Lord shall be as the bowls before the altar. And every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holy to the Lord of hosts, so that all who sacrifice may come and take of them and boil the meat of the sacrifice in them. And there shall no longer be a traitor in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. 
so again, a lot of things going on. Um, but just with a few minutes left here, what I think is so striking is that, okay, like, it's not as if God wiped out everybody else, right? Now it's just, you know, um, Israelites. God actually wants the Egyptians to go up to his holy mountain and worship there, right? I mean, th this is, again, this idea that somehow um, God is king of all, and everyone's actually worshiping him in the end, right? So to your point, you made the connection earlier, um, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, right? I mean, like, God isn't just wanting to, like, have all their tongues rot, and that's, like, the end of it. He wants their tongues to confess that Jesus is Lord right alongside the people of Israel, that all families of the earth would do this and celebrate the Feast of Booths, that everyone would be part of the Passover salvation, right? Yeah. The, the, the culmination of, of God being one and all, all the other quote-unquote gods of the nations being reduced to nothing, uh, the, end, the end result is that uh, the peoples of the nations will worship this one God. That's, it's really the, the trajectory throughout the Old Testament is this, this kind of missionary impulse uh, that that at the end the peoples of the nations are going to come and and worship the Lord. And of course, we see that in full flower in in the New Testament when the gospel goes forth to the Gentiles and they come in and they right. they go to the house of the Lord. They come to Jesus. Um, it's it's that exact picture. Right, and and um, and this this also just ties together a lot of the stuff in the in the Old Testament. I mean, you got the the mention too, like the bells, right, uh, of the horses, which you know, might seem kind of odd, but again, like the horses have kind of come up here a few times in this last section of Zechariah. Um, I mean, in a negative sense, because what, what they represent is war, but here they're not, they're not war horses anymore. They're just, uh, they're just, I mean, what they're holy in the Lord's garden, right? This is a picture where, where everything on earth, even the animals are brought into that salvation. The Passover is for all in Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, brother. So good having you today, and God's blessings on you and your people during the rest of this Lenten tide um, up to our Easter celebration. Thank you so much. Thank you for the privilege of being on the on the program today. My pleasure, brother. Uh, everybody, that was Christopher Morandi, pastor at St. John Bingham, Decatur, Indiana. Until next time, Pastor A.G. Espinosa. You've been listening Peace. to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.